Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome everyone to episode 45 of True Blue Crime. My name's Sean and with me as always is my co-host Chloe. How are you doing? Hi, good. I have nothing to say to you because we've been recording for the last little while, but <laughs> I'm ready to do part two of this story. Yes, and like magic, it will seem like we're you know back and, and doing it all again in a couple of days, but in reality, we're recording it all at once and splitting it up for you all but you know we've done that for a reason it's it's very heavy as we said in that first episode and a lot of audio and we've got a whole lot more to uh, unpack so we're going to jump straight into it uh, without any of the formalities and as most of you will know listening to part one uh, there's some very distressing real world audio of someone's death and uh, and that's the case again in this episode so exercise self-care and, and look after yourselves if you keep listening to this one as I said, we're going to jump right back in where we finished off, Chloe, and now's about the time to point out that this is part two. So if you haven't picked up on that, go back, listen to part one if you haven't already. You absolutely need to do that before listening to this one. And the ending of the last episode was absolutely horrifying, to say the least, but it's a very important part in the context of part two and what's going to unfold in this case. So as much as it pains me to do it, we're going to kick things off by quickly revisiting just the final few minutes of that terrifying clip we heard at the end of part one. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to walk you out of this apartment. Just the way you are. You're not going to collect any belongings or anything. You're just going to walk out. I'm going to slam the door on you. You understand? If you try to pull anything, I'll knock you out. I'll knock you the fuck out. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? Come on. Get up. Get up. Fuck up. Get up. Okay. Get up. You don't understand, do you? You don't understand anything at all, do you? You don't understand. You don't understand, do you? You just don't understand. Let go. You think you can hit me? And I'll just like fall down, like in the movies? Huh? You don't understand thing, do you? Let go of it. Let go. Let go. Let go.
Who the fuck do you think you are? No! Hmm? No! 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 You're trying to kill me, huh? No! Why'd no! you try to hit me with that? No! Huh? No! 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 Fucking no! So as we said at the end of the last episode, Warina's scream can be heard faintly at the end of that clip where she goes over the edge of Gable Tosti's balcony, falling some 14 floors to her death. Extremely tragic. So there's a whole lot to unpack and analyse there, Chloe. We've got Gable Tosti changing his tone quite quickly here from a generally cruisy disposition throughout the evening to this point, now clearly quite angry and almost menacing, you might say. Warina, who I think it's fair to say has been getting more and more intoxicated throughout the evening and escalating in her unpredictability and violence towards Gable, all of a sudden has switched to sounding submissive as she's been physically overwhelmed by the much larger man, and then she sounds utterly terrified at the end there. We hear some noises that sound like choking, or very constricted breathing at least. A stop in the action and then seemingly a second escalation where it was said that Warina reached for the metal clamp of the telescope Gable had in his apartment and tried to attack him with it. He restrains her again and forces her to drop it, before forcing her out onto the balcony, where we hear Warina scream no 31 times in 46 seconds. We know the outcome, but the question was, did Gable Tosti push her? Did she slip and fall while trying to climb over the railing? And if it was the latter, what was the reasoning behind that? Was she fearing for her life so much that escape seemed like the only option? Or did her intoxication play a major part in this? Two floors below Gable Tosti's apartment, a guy named Nick Casey was visiting his friend Emily Ellis. He and Emily were hairdressers. Emily's boyfriend Ryan Martin was also present. They heard the commotion two floors above and went out onto their balcony and looked up to see Warina Wright standing on a concrete ledge on the outside of the glass balustrade on Gable Tosti's balcony. Nick recalled hearing Warina say something along the lines of wanting to go home, which we heard in the audio. He yells up to Warina words to the effect of, you can't get down this way, go back up. According to Nick, Warina then twisted and lowered a leg down off the ledge before returning to a standing position. A moment later, she appeared to stiffen and then slip. The neighbour above them, directly below Gable Tosti's apartment, is named Gabrielle Collier-Weedman. She called emergency services when she saw Warina fall and, interestingly, later tells police that she heard a different female shouting, no, 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 in a similar panicked manner to Warina just a couple of months earlier up in Gable's apartment. We know that Gable Tosti didn't call emergency services. He phoned his lawyer and then slipped out of his apartment building before police arrived. But his phone continued recording, Chloe. We're going to play a clip of that time period and pay attention to any unusual sounds you might hear, because we're going to circle back to that later in the episode when we're discussing some of the conjecture and unanswered questions.
So to me, when I first listened to that, I thought that noise sounded like the spin lock collar on a dumbbell, straight up. That's what I thought. I've had those myself in the past. I've heard that sound many times and it'd make sense for Gable Tosti to have dumbbells. And it turns out I wasn't the only one who had that thought. There was mention of it on a forum online and on the website myalchemy.com where a lady, I think her name was Sophie who wrote this, she also contended that this noise was a spinlock dumbbell collar. We'll come back to that later on in more detail because this uh, Sophie also did an interesting behavioural analysis on Gable Tosti. But I wanted to mention the, the dumbbell thing because CCTV of Gable leaving the apartment complex would actually show him carrying something that looks a lot like a dumbbell bar. It's a silver or chrome-looking cylindrical thing in his hand. But this piece of info is handled quite strangely later on. We'll put a pin in that for now and keep following Gable on his walk around surfers. Gable leaves the Avalon apartment buildings and basically walks around for about 45 minutes or thereabouts, as you said, Chloe, and he does plenty of walking, let me tell you. Most of the time, the audio recording sounds a little something like this. I listened to around an hour of that just so you all didn't have to and we could pick out the best bits. Presumably, he's got his phone in his pocket during this time, but there's one particularly interesting bit uh, that we're going to play now. So it sounds like to me at this point, maybe five minutes after he's left the apartment, Gable dropped this dumbbell bar and then started to run or walk quite briskly before the recording cleaned up a bit. Maybe he was walking with his phone at this point, taking it out of his pocket. He continued to walk around for some time, muttering the occasional swear word before stopping, potentially sitting down to contemplate what had just occurred. The nightlife of the Gold Coast can be heard in the background alongside some screeching plovers, and one has to wonder what was going through Gable Tosti's mind at this point. His actions were indeed strange. He'd clearly become angry and muscled Warina out onto his balcony, but what had truly happened after that? We know in hindsight from witness statements that Warina had appeared to be over the other side of the ledge of her own accord, but had she feared for her life that much that there was no other option? Was the audio alone telling us the full story? Those questions would be asked again later. For now, Gable Tosti's post-tragedy actions were certainly less than sympathetic, but not illegal. At 3.10am, he orders and eats a slice of pizza. Sounds like Supreme that he orders. He's on Cavill Avenue at this point, where he very easily could have seen the Avalon complex awash in a sea of red and blue light, as Warina lay dead on the ground from the horrific fall, having sustained over 80 injuries to her body. She had no phone or identification with her either. Gable doesn't realise he has Warina's phone in his pocket at this stage, apparently. 
but he's mindful enough to grab his own keys and wallet to buy a slice of pizza, which he'd clearly been hanging for since suggesting the dim sims sometime earlier. He walks around for another 10 to 15 minutes before phoning his dad, Gray, to tell him what happened. Hello, Dad. Um, I might have a bit of a situation. See, um, I met up with a girl <clears throat> for a date tonight. And um, she started getting really aggressive. Like, it was alright at first, and like, <clears throat> we, you know, had sex in bed. And then after that, like, she kept drinking, and we were both drinking. And she, like, I, I think she thought it was like a joke or something, but she kept, like, beating me up and whatever. Yeah, and um, it was because she was really drunk. And, um, like, I, I forced her out on the balcony, and I, I think she might have jumped off. Like, I've been walking around and there are like a million cops around my building. I'm fucked. I don't know what to do. Hey? Like where? I didn't cause this. Like, I didn't push her or anything. I, like, I just... No, no. Um, I'm like just walking around the area and there's like a million cops around the area. It's really fucked up. I'm, I'm like um, next to uh, Domino's. So Gable's on his phone to his dad for some time waiting for his lift. His old man tells him to call Bill Potts ASAP. He's a senior criminal defence lawyer. Gable continuously goes on about it not being his fault, that she beat him up and he tolerated it for a time before holding her down and corralling her onto his balcony. For some odd reason, Gable calls Warina's phone twice during the drive. He has her phone and it rings in the car. Neither he nor his old man know why he's doing it. He's very why me, why me in this time, with no apparent concern for Warina Wright's welfare, other than a couple of comments that he hopes she's not dead or that maybe he's dreaming. This is something that would haunt Gable later on. On the flip side, when you consider his recent legal troubles and his diagnoses of autism and obsessive-compulsive disorder, perhaps that gives us a glimpse into his potential mindset. His old man is insistent on him calling Potts. He mentions this several times, but there's no answer when he calls. And the two talk about proof and motive quite a bit, so it's very legal right off the bat. Gable does say that Wright ran out onto the balcony a couple of times during this car ride, which seems to contradict the audio and his earlier tale of him kind of throwing her out there and closing the door. But that could have been a simple slip of the tongue or confusion at the time. They seem to drive around back towards Gable's apartment, but eventually drive away and stop at a park. And this is when the audio recording stops and the pair presumably drove back to Gable's parents' home in a gated Gold Coast community. Tosti showed up at the local Surfers Paradise police station the following afternoon, still wearing his aqua shirt from the night before. He was understandably accompanied by his lawyer, but opted to exercise his right to remain silent. So I think that's a fairly standard response, I would have thought, considering the circumstances and his no-show at the crime scene. But Gable and his lawyers did consent to full forensic testing. The following week was a whirlwind in surface as Warina Wright was eventually identified and her devastated family flew in from New Zealand. The police secured the audio recording we've heard from Gable's phone and in a move that undoubtedly pissed off his legal team to no end, 
Gable took to the MISC forums on bodybuilding.com to proclaim his innocence. He'd do this a few times moving forward, essentially saying each time that he was innocent and had nothing to do with Warina falling. Despite this, he continued to remain silent with detectives, something that I think didn't really work in his favour in hindsight. Police began to form the opinion, based on the evidence in front of them and Gable's actions thereafter and to this point in time, that while he mightn't have physically pushed Warina, he had caused her to become so fearful for her own life in these moments that escape via climbing over the balcony was her only method of escape. Warina's sister, Maritza, gave a teary plea to the media for anyone with information to come forward. Re was the most important person in my world. Most of the time we only had each other to rely on, Maritza said. She was a very beautiful, cheerful, intelligent person who was not only my sister, but she was my best friend. With mainstream and social media abuzz in the wake of the tragedy, Gable Tosti, hunkered down at his parents' home, was arrested on the 15th of August 2014 for the murder of Warina Wright. He'd eventually end up answering a manslaughter charge too for the same alleged crime. Gable was granted bail at the committal hearing, with both the prosecution and defence happy to proceed to trial without evidence being called. Evidently, they each thought they had a strong case for and against the charges. It'd be over two years until the trial was held in the Supreme Court in October of 2016. The wheels of justice turned slowly, Chloe. Justice delayed is justice denied, don't they say? Gable had his freedom, though, during this time, but he was banned from Tinder or any app that was similar to that. His party boy lifestyle effectively over as he spent his days in solace within his parents' home. Ordinarily, Chloe, we don't spend a lot of time going into the trial and details of the charges if it's not relevant to the story we're telling, but in this case, it very much is. There's a few things that we wanted to touch on. Firstly, the charge of murder itself. Bill Potts, senior defence lawyer, stated this was a fairly standard that the prosecution went for this charge. It wasn't the first balcony fall type case in recent times. In 2013, New South Wales man Simon Gatani was convicted of the murder of his partner Lisa Harnham, who he murdered by throwing her off a 15th floor balcony in 2011. Conversely, two men were found not guilty of murdering Tumara Cousins, who fell 31 storeys from a surfer's paradise high-rise in 2012. This was alleged to be a drug deal gone wrong, but ultimately the pair were acquitted by their jury. But it was a 1988 case that the Crown relied on to establish precedents for the murder and manslaughter charges against Gable Tosti. William Royal was convicted of murdering his girlfriend Kelly Healy in similar circumstances, when it was found he created a well-founded apprehension that Healy would be subjected to further violence if she stayed inside the apartment they were fighting in. So escape was her only option. Kelly ended up climbing out of the bathroom window and fell to her death. So this was what the prosecution was alleging against Gable Tosti. Doesn't always have to be the physical act, does it, to cop a murder charge? We've seen that before in cases where, you know, hitmen have been hired Or the Truro case, Chloe, where um, Christopher Worrell physically committed the murders, but his offsider, James Miller, uh, who was more complicit and and helped dispose of the bodies, he also received murder charges. So that was the prosecution case in essence. Yes, Warina Wright may have thrown some rocks, but Gable Tosti had effectively turned the tables in an instant with his sheer size and intimidation beyond what was reasonable and his actions thereafter had directly led to Warina's death through her fear of being grievously harmed should she come back inside. Gable's defence, headed by formidable barrister Saul Holt, contended that Gable acted with reasonable force, sensibly de-escalating the situation, and that he could not have foreseen the actions of an intoxicated woman. Holt said that climbing the railing while drunk would have only been reasonable if someone was chasing you with a knife. He called Warina's behaviour utterly, utterly irrational and drew from evidence that Warina had old scars consistent with self-harm in a clear attempt to plant a seed in the jury's mind that she had some mental instability. What about a dumbbell though, Chloe? Would it have been reasonable to climb and flee if being threatened with one of those? Turns out that didn't matter as the questions of 
What that noise was and what Gable was holding on the CCTV were ruled to be irrelevant by Justice John Byrne. Justice Byrne also ruled Gable's actions after the tragedy, so leaving the scene and smashing a triangle of greasy street supreme, were also irrelevant in establishing his guilt. That was the gist of the arguments from both sides, what was considered and what wasn't, with the main hinging question being, did Gable Tosti indeed choke Warina Wright? That probably would have been indicative of using force that was unreasonable and perhaps then establishing that she might have feared for her life, which would have deemed her escape attempt reasonable and foreseeable considering the circumstances. The defence said Gable didn't choke her, and the prosecution alleged he did. Obviously, there were other factors to consider, which we'll talk more about later. Details about why he pushed her out onto the balcony and not through the front door. But essentially, the prosecution's argument hit the skids when forensic pathologist Diane Little testified that there was no internal damage found, suggesting Warina had been choked or strangled. But there was a special police hold that apparently doesn't leave any internal damage, so it was possible but not probable, I guess, seeing Gable wasn't a trained police officer. Five and a half days of evidence were given, the jury deliberated for six hours and repeatedly saw clarification on certain points and different bits of relevant legislation. They couldn't unanimously agree, so Justice Burns sent them away to keep at it instead of dismissing the entire jury. It took the jury a further three days to finally reach a unanimous verdict. But right before the final verdict was delivered, it came out that one of the jurors had been posting on her Instagram page innocuous shots of her coffee cup, but in the comments she'd disclosed that she was sitting on the Tosti murder trial. Gable's legal team swarmed and went for a mistrial, with Holt saying he had no confidence in the fair process now, that this juror had violated Justice Byrne's directive to not discuss the case with outsiders. Justice Byrne, after a quick crash course on Instagram from one of his younger counterparts, ruled the content of the indiscretions did not jeopardise the fairness of Gable's trial. As Warina Wright's family linked arms, Gable Tosti buried his head in his hands before rising to hear the jury's decision. On the charge of murder, the jury foreman declared, not guilty. On the charge of manslaughter, the jury foreman declared, not guilty. So that was it, Chloe. This ordeal was over for all concerned, and Gable Tosti left court a free man. But again, he didn't speak, instead letting his lawyer, Simon Dorr, do the talking. I'm just going to make one really quick comment. Um, Mr Tosti is very happy with the result. He's relieved. This matter is now behind him, and he's looking forward to moving on with his life. He thanks all those people that have supported him through this and realises just how tragic this has been for many people. At this stage, just looking forward to putting it behind him and um, considering his future from here. Thank you all very much. Mr. Mr. Tosti, is there anything you would like to say today? How frustrating it has been, Mr. Tosti. Gable Tosti, who'd been rather devoid of any emotion throughout this whole ordeal, aside from his posts on the MISC forum, showed a glimpse of the relief he must have been feeling when, while waiting to cross the road outside court, swarmed by the media, he closed his eyes and raised his face to the sky. Warina's grieving family left the court with their supporters and a spokesperson for the family said the following, after requesting the media respect the family's privacy and them leaving for New Zealand to grieve in peace. This has been an incredibly traumatic situation for everyone involved in this case, let alone the families that have been impacted by this, she said. Warina Wright's family are still coming to terms with the loss of their daughter and their sister, as well as enduring the anguish of being present here at this trial for the last two weeks. Police offered no further comment. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
Mabel Tosti, virtually a mute to this point, didn't ride off on his nag into the sunset, however. A lucrative $250,000 payment, it was said by sources close to the deal, was paid by 60 Minutes to Gable for his exclusive version of events. But he'd have to endure the steely-eyed, dogged questioning of our favourite reporter, Liam Bartlett, Chloe, and we have some classic Bartlett in this interview. He essentially throws the most common questions at Gable that we've all probably thought throughout hearing this case, but this is all punctuated with classic Bartlett disbelief and peppered with his trademark calling of bullshit. We've gone through the interview and picked some of the best bits for you to listen to, but in the show notes we'll link to the full 60-minute story if you want to take a look at that. They also go back over the audio recording and Bartlett kind of stops and starts it and poses questions about what we're hearing. Let's take a listen. You're lucky I haven't chucked you off my fucking balcony, you goddamn psycho little bitch. Just a horribly, horribly unfortunate choice of words without having any idea what, you know, would happen next. You're lucky I haven't thrown you off the balcony. Yeah, and... I didn't intend that as a threat. I intended it as a figure of speech to say, you're lucky I've been so tolerant with you. Um, I know, but Gable, as it turned out. I I know how it looks. It's absolutely, you know... It's a shocker. It it is the worst, you know, to even mention the balcony. It's the worst choice of words one could have used. This is where I've basically bundled her up and started to carry her out the nearest door. We heard Warina uh, scream no 33 times and she was begging to go home. Why didn't you just use the front door? Uh, you mean after I disarmed her? Whenever. You had multiple opportunities. Well, the, the first thing I, I did was try to make her walk out the front door. But you restrained her again? After, after, she, after she took the clamp. For the second time, you had control of her and you still chose not to use the front door. Why didn't you just use the front door? Because that's only a question that you can ask in hindsight, when you have to desperately get someone away from you and separate the two of you and try and de-escalate an altercation, it doesn't come into the equation that that person is going to climb off a balcony and fall 14 floors to their death. But, But Gable, regardless, you had control of her. You were six foot three, she was five foot four. How far is it between the front door and the balcony door? It was a lot lot closer to the balcony door and it was wide open and it was the logical option at the time. Did you hear her scream? I didn't hear it with my own ears, no. I only realised that there was a faint scream uh, that my phone audio picked up. Um, But your phone recorded that scream. mm -hmm. We can hear that scream. Yeah. Through the locked balcony door. Yeah. But you reckon you didn't hear it? Not at the time, no. Are you serious? Yeah. No, all I saw, all I saw was her on the other side of the rail for a, a fleeting moment, and then, and then she was gone. So, so why didn't you go out on the balcony to check to see if she was okay? Instinctively, I knew that if I ran out there and somebody saw me looking over the edge, and she had actually fallen all the way, it would look like, you know, it, it, it would not look good it would look like i i had forced her over or something so you were worried about what it would look like for you of course i was worried about her i was i was absolutely terrified at what had just happened to her but you know you just told me that you were a kind and caring guy yeah absolutely and and you you couldn't you couldn't even be bothered to go out on the balcony and look over the side and see what had happened to her. Well, whatever had happened out there had happened and looking over the edge 
you know, that it doesn't help anybody. There's no purpose to it. Wait, you kidding? Well, no, I mean... There's no purpose to looking over the edge. What, to see if she's alive? To see if she's no, okay? No, because that, that, that's just, you know, uh, knee-jerk curiosity. And like I said, I was, I was deeply concerned by what had happened to her. You were so deeply concerned, Gable, that from her death scream to the next event, which was you calling your lawyer, was 35 seconds. I froze on the spot and I thought, I need to do whatever is the most rational thing to do at the moment. I need advice. Warina Wright's body is on the pavement. You don't even know if she's still breathing and you are happily munching away on a slice of Super Supreme. There's nothing happy or casual or indulgent about it. That was, that night, that was the most scared I've ever been. It's the most distraught I've, I've ever been in my entire life. Can you understand why many people would think you're a cold, heartless, cruel bastard? When you, when you put it that way, um, when that's all you say about a person with no insight or explanation, you know, the media can make people think what the media wants people to think. Certainly wasn't choking. I didn't choke her at any point. I didn't harm her physically at any point. That was, um, that was proven in court by the pathologist. There were no signs of choking. There were no signs of any physical harm on her. How did you have a restraint? Um, I, I can't remember exactly. I just used my size and, and, and what happened to How did you use your size? I can't remember. It wasn't choreographed or anything. You honestly don't remember? I don't remember exact hand positions or feet positions, no. Would it surprise you to learn that I don't believe you? Well, there are probably a lot of people who might not believe that, but the fact is that I don't remember those exact details. So that was that. Tosti turned down other interviews but did take to Facebook, surprisingly responding to posters in detail and trading barbs here and there with accusatory messengers. But there remains a number of questions when it comes to this case. The stones inside the apartment were found with Gable's blood on them, but no evidence that Warina threw them. And what about the choking and this mysterious dumbbell? Or the fact that Warina was screaming for 46 seconds, which was absolutely terrifying audio. I think many people still feel there's something missing in this case. And again, I come back to the point that Gable knew the entire time this date was being recorded, Warina didn't. So that gives him the ability to significantly impact the details of the the storyline, the narrative that we're hearing. We mentioned earlier that the website myalchemy.com offers some interesting details on the dumbbell. I think it's someone named Sophie, as I said, who wrote this on that site. I didn't look into into that in detail, to be honest. But she also wrote a very interesting behavioural analysis of the 60 Minutes interview, I think that is her professional skill set, non-verbal behaviour analysis. So we won't run through that in detail, but again, we'll link that in the show notes if anyone wants to read it. It's quite interesting. In essence, she detects deception and other emotions indicating some level of guilt, I think, on Gable's part. Gable Tosti has since changed his name to Eric Thomas, which is far less impressive and cowboy sounding. He's back on Tinder. He said he tried to contact Marina's parents to offer condolences, but they didn't want to hear from him, so he says he respected that and left it. On New Year's Eve of 2019, Gable, or Eric as he's now known, had the police called on him by a Tinder date when she said something along the lines of, I've done some research and you've got me off edge. The police showed up and Gable left. They did stress that he wasn't in trouble, he hadn't committed anything, Eric Gable found the whole thing bizarre, apparently, as the woman he was with had not indicated at any point that she wanted him to leave. But to me, it's kind of bizarre that he thought it was bizarre based on his history. As far as Warina Wright's family go, they've had to go for six years now enduring her loss, grieving. I think I speak for us both when I say we 
feel very deeply for them and our thoughts are with them. We wanted to conclude this with some words from Marina's father. Warren said, Please charge him with the right thing, false imprisonment resulting in death. I don't know what the charge is in Australia, but that's what he's guilty of. That and being an arrogant son of a bitch, but I guess there's no crime in that. And that is the tragic case of Warina Wright and Gable Tosti. And what are your thoughts, Sean? So, yeah, I have a few thoughts, many thoughts actually, but um, before we sort of started recording and we were chatting a bit about this, it was very interesting to me how, you know, we, um, both of our thoughts sort of came together and, and really came up with a bit of a theory that I'll sort of bookend your your thoughts with, Chloe, at the end. But um, I personally wondered how far the investigation into other audio recordings on Tosti's phone went. You know, there seemed like a lot of evidence in this case that wasn't deemed relevant, when to me it kind of was. You know, the dumbbell is an obvious one or whatever that is, whatever he was holding when he left the apartment. But um you know, the comment from one of his neighbours too about hearing a similar no, no, no weeks earlier, you know, did they review his other recordings and was there a pattern of this guy talking about his balcony and trying to maybe orchestrate a scenario where something like this might happen? And what about uh, Warina's history in that sense, you know, past partners? You know, we hear Gable saying that she's beating him up all night, but was that consistent with her past? With that said... I think it's very possible and and probably likely that more went on inside that apartment than what we know or what we can hear anyway. I just think that aspect of him knowing and not being able to see, um, you know, with just the hearing, I think that's a a major factor. And you're probably going to talk more about that in your thoughts, Chloe, which, um, as I said, I'll, I'll add to, but... I've personally had people that I know in in scenarios not similar to this but where recordings have been made for posterity and when there's no visual and, you know, there's a big size difference like in this case, body language can say a lot more than than words and, and audio. Conversely, I've heard of scenarios where maybe there's just video and no, no audio and uh, someone can seemingly be backing away with their hands up in retreat but actually saying, you know, come at me, come at me to evoke a, a violent response because that's what they really want. It sounds kind of twisted, I know, but all that said, I think that the uh, double-edged sword of Tosti having this audio ultimately saved his ass. I think both sides thought the audio was a silver bullet for different reasons, but had there been no audio and Tosti charged and tried, telling his story of a, a tiny Warina Wright beating him up all night and then he, this six foot three hunk of Gold Coast man meat simply restraining her and and then she fell off the balcony, I think he would have had his ass handed to him and been found guilty. So perhaps his obsessiveness saved him there. I do tend to agree with Warina Wright's father with um, what he said at the end there, that whatever the equivalent charge in Australia would be, that's what Gable Tosti was guilty of at the very, you know, probably at the very least or, or, or at least from what we know. I think there's there's definitely some culpability to that point, but uh, there are many more unanswered questions. Um, you know, I, I think the mysterious dumbbell thing and and the fact that he might have choked her or gone over the top in restraining her is very, very possible, or maybe more, as you're going to get to, Chloe. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it could also be that their levels of intoxication led to respective overreactions so absolutely tragic interesting with the audio aspect to it but just very sad for Warina and her family I hope she's at peace and that they've all moved on to a happier place your thoughts yeah so you know um Gable was found not guilty so I guess that's the main thought but of course I have theories and the theories are hard not to think about that's for sure to know exactly what happened in that room The small things are what I keep thinking over. Was he in control of the amount of alcohol she had? Was she feeling threatened? Why did she attack him if she did? And, you know, 90% of our communication is said to be nonverbal. So what was happening away from the microphone through body language, as you said, Sean, and anything else that might have affected the interaction these two were having? My theory is that Something much more serious may have happened between Warina and Gable before she fell. My theory boils down to the fact that one consensual sexual encounter doesn't grant permission for an evening of sex, especially if someone is intoxicated. 
But regardless, as you said, Sean, it's a terribly sad case and how does it make you glad that I don't have to use Tinder or anything similar? This is obviously worst case scenario, but it would be so scary to put yourself out there in such an intimate situation with people you just don't know. But like I said before, this case is closed on the books. I'll save any other opinions I might have for off air or maybe in our Facebook group. Or maybe I can just sort of put them out there, <laughs> put them out there now at the end of your... But this was the interesting thing, I think, when I was saying that we were talking about this um, before we, we started recording and and I, I will admit I was quite intrigued by you saying about the um, uh, about you know the potential for there being um, non consensual sex um, towards the end of that recording. Um, I, I will admit that you know having known that they had had it consensually earlier in the evening and and hearing what happens, it was my when I was listening to it, it was more focused on a few other details and the fact that yeah. It sounds like he, you know, something else it might be happening. Like you said, some things that were maybe being said weren't matching out with the sounds that we were hearing. Yeah. And for me, the two things I, I was left with was what the what was that dumbbell thing? What why did he take that? Why did he leave with that thing from the apartment and then seemingly from the audio dispose of it? And why was it disregarded? But what 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 was it possibly that that happened there that that suddenly changed from him to become a certain way and sound a certain way, and also for Warina to change like that, um, and you know putting those things together, I'm going to put it out there about the the possibility of potential um, something happening with that with that dumbbell and 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 if if something did happen at the end there um, that was non consensual. Um, you know, we did hear the line. We did hear Warina say that that really hurt my vagina. Um, so you know, with that, uh, those things sort of factored. Um, there, there's a there's a bit of a theory there. I don't know why that evidence wasn't um, looked into more. Maybe it was, and it just wasn't uh, published. But that could be a potential motive for why he wanted to take whatever that thing was, whether it was a dumbbell or something else, um, away, out of the apartment uh, yeah. and and dispose of it. So. Look, you know, at the end of the day, he has been he has been found uh, not guilty, and um, you know, this is this is all just conjecture. We're not we're not suggesting that um, that that happened, but uh, it, it's you know, it's a theory based on on what we've heard and, and what we know. So yeah, definitely, it's all interesting, and you can't help but have questions and go through theories when you have so much information and seemingly not all the answers. But who knows? Um, but I guess that's that. Um, should we move on to happy thoughts? Yes, and I do have a happy thought. My happy thought is actually uh, my wife, Amy, editing uh, my drafts when I write these episodes. That's my uh, my happy thought for this week. I um, don't uh, probably give her a shout-out enough. She does go through the majority of our scripts because I, I absolutely crank them out quite quickly and she um, makes them legible so we can actually read them when we sit down. Um, when she can't, generally you, you do it, Chloe. But um uh, we had to, when we were doing part two of this um, tonight. I I'd sort of structured all of this um, a little bit differently. This case because uh, you know it's quite a different one, and uh, I had um, errantly left up the wrong document. And, and Amy, obviously not not knowing sort of everything that that's gone through it from that point, and coming through and doing the edit, she um, went through and edited the the wrong document for me before oh, we went, no. uh, which is compl- completely my fault because I left up the wrong thing and told her the. The right document was there, so uh, um, I just wanted to give her a shout out and say thanks to her for um, being so supportive and, and editing the majority of these um, scripts. So um, it's a massive help, and uh, and that's my happy thought. Nice. Um, well, mine's weather chat to take on from yours in part one because Yay. these episodes are connected. Yeah. Um, that we've lit our wood fire for the first time, so we've got a couple of heaters around the house, and also are lucky enough to have a wood fire kind of in the middle of our house, I guess. And it just happens to be right outside of my office, which is awesome. Um, and this week for the first time, also no one in my family is really that cold. Like they don't get cold. So it has to be pretty cool for us to put a heater on. Um, well, my husband would disagree with you, but I make the choices about these things. So that's, <laughs> that's the truth. Um, so it dropped below 10 degrees this week during the day. So we put the heater on and there's just nothing like having an open 
wood fire in your house and uh, it's just so cozy and nice and makes staying at home once again feel like something that isn't so bad. Yeah, that's excellent. That's a, that's a, that's a nice way to end, Chloe, with some warm and cozy thoughts there. Thank <laughs> you for that. No worries. Um, and if you want to get in touch, you can email us at truebluecrime at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, which is called True Blue Crime Podcast, and find us on Instagram by searching True Blue Crime. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. For $5 per month, you can support the current free content we make on the main feed and get our bonus monthly Blue Label episodes. That's it from us this week. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.